0: Thank you for being honest. I felt quite uncomfortable, actually, and it was partly my idea. It's <laughs> um, all my idea, I'm told. I thought it would be more of a sort of thingy, closed-in thing, but this is amazing, isn't it? It's like... like being in the arena. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. It's, it's awkward, but... Um, we're talk- The theme is about reconciliation, isn't it? And reconciliation is extending hands of friendship and we are a body the difficult thing about being a body in the way that we normally do it is that we just see the back of each other's heads and we just perform our Sunday activities in actual fact we're meant to be a body I mean you don't hold hands with people I was going to hold hands with you there we are see blokes don't hold hands but you know we're a body we belong together and this is one of the ways of reminding ourselves we look at each other and and say hmm I can't avoid you because the Lord Jesus Christ has put us together in this jigsaw of a thing called his church into which we all have to fit together. And fitting together in jigsaws means, well, human jigsaws means we have to shuffle around and make space and give way and and that kind of thing. And this is a kind of reminder that we are of the body of Christ. Also, the subject today is A continuation of the one on reconciliation and the um, title of the subject if I remember it correctly is that reconciliation begins with loving our enemies so here we are we have the them against the us reconciliation begins with loving our enemies I wonder sometimes What would happen if we were able to roll the walls of our Sunday church up? A bit like a gazebo. What would happen if we could actually do that? And we still do what we do. But in a gazebo. So there are people driving by and wheeling their prams by and cycling by and coming back from the shop with their papers. And they stop and they look in. I wonder if they would relate in any way to what we're doing, the kind of words we're using. Would they stop and say, that makes sense to me. Well, let's hear some more. Would they stand on the other side of the road pretending that they're not really interested but trying to hear? And if they did understand And if they did find that what we were saying and doing was relevant and then they recognised us at work would they see us as the same people at work that they saw in here? In other words, what we say we believe would we be doing it where the rubber hits the road? And reconciliation sort of somehow or another If we are a people of reconciled to God because of his amazing grace towards us, and because of that we are a people who are reconciled and being reconciled with one another, and if then because of that we're going out into our workplaces and saying reconciliation begins with love for your enemy, what would be the effect upon our project managers? Um staff nurse, if you have staff nurses, I don't know if you have staff nurses, head teachers, that grumpy school secretary, whatever. What would the effect be upon the people who work under us, or on the tea lady, if we are really a people of reconciliation, who believe that reconciliation begins with loving your enemy, Wouldn't that be an extraordinary revolution going out into the daily life and the workplace if we are able to live like that and maintain our standards in a place where our standards are frankly stamped on? Because we're the people of God. But that's what Jesus did. That's how Jesus lived in the midst of a fallen world that we live in amongst hypocritical Pharisees and political Sadducees and the hoi polloi and the muck of this world, the sinners and the publicans. He lived his father's life and he was here to demonstrate love for those who spiritually opposed him and were his enemies. Isn't that amazing? Pete read a scripture this morning I'm going to read it again just to remind you of it this is from um, Romans chapter 5 did you read it from the message? you read it from the good news? well this isn't the good news this is the new international and uh, we're beginning at verse 6 you see Just at the right time, when we were still powerless, weak, that's um, morally weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Now very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved? through his life not only is this so but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ because it's through him we've now received reconciliation I've got a story here which I've read in schools again and again the kids just sit astonished it's a, from a book called Miracle on the River Choir." you might have read it The day's work had ended. The tools were being counted, as usual. As the party was about to be dismissed, a Japanese guard shouted that a shovel was missing. He insisted that someone had stolen it to sell to the Ties. Striding up and down before the men, he ranted and denounced them for their wickedness, and most unforgivable of all, their ingratitude to the Emperor. As he raved, he worked himself up into a paranoid fury, and screaming in broken English, he demanded that the guilty one step forward and take his punishment, but no one moved. The guard's rage reached new heights of violence. All die! All die! he shrieked. To show that he meant what he said, he cocked his rifle, put it to his shoulder, and looked down the sights, ready to fire at the first man at the end of them. And it was at that moment, that an Argyle stepped forward, stood stiffly to attention and said calmly, I did it. The guard unleashed all his whipped up hate. He kicked the helpless prisoner, he beat him with his fists and still the Argyle stood rigidly to attention with blood streaming down his face. His silence goaded the guard to an excess of rage and seizing his rifle by, by the barrel, he lifted it high over his head and with a final howl brought it down on the argyle skull who just sank limply to the ground and didn't move. Although it was obvious he was dead, the guard continued to beat him and only stopped when he himself was exhausted. The men of the work in detail picked up their comrades' body, shouldered their tools and marched back to camp. When the tools were counted again at the guardhouse, there wasn't a shovel missing. As the story was told, remarkably enough, admiration for the Argyle transcended hatred for the Japanese guard. Isn't that awesome? Now, of course, that's not a story about reconciliation. That's a story about sacrifice. One man being willing to sacrifice himself for the sake of of others. But when we talk about being reconciled to God, we're talking about a sacrifice too, where Christ stood in the place where that God stood. But Christ offered his death not just for the salvation, for the freeing of his friends, but he offered his life for the God as well. That's what we're told in the scripture. Christ died for sinners. We're told in another place, He died to take away the sin of the world. And that includes that God. Now that is amazing. This is the love of God. This was the intention of Christ. He died to open the door to reconciliation. His death was God's reconciliation, act of reconciliation towards a world of people like you and me and all the stuff out there that we've been praying about. It was God's act of reconciling act to this world to say, look, come home. Cut it out. Come back. I love you. I'll forgive you. Through this death it's sorted. Now will you come to your own mind? Will you come to yourself? Look what you're doing with yourselves and with the world. Now come back to me. The way is open. Here's my hand, says God. And he waits. Because the offer's open. It's not a closed offer. There is a sell-by date. The sell-by date is when Christ returns again. But he hasn't yet. <laughs> Hallelujah. Here is Almighty God saying, You have so messed up my world, but I love you with a passion. We call the death of Jesus, we call it his passion. That's the passion of God. God. Now, you and I are sitting here because we have been reconciled with God. We have said, Lord God, we are so sorry. We have really messed up. We're so sorry. We want to come back home to you, Father God. We accept this offer of reconciliation. And we leave behind the stuff which made it necessary for Christ to die. And we just want to touch base with you, God, and do things your way now. So now listen to this that is just awesome. if you've never done that, if you're here today and because I don't know who you all are yet but if if you're here today and that guilt still reigns in you that loneliness That sense, like my, my wife and I, before we became Christians, we had this sense that we were wired for transcendence. But somehow or another we were all disconnected. That's how we were made. We were wired for transcendence, to know God. And somehow or another we are all disconnected. That's how we felt. God, how do we connect up again? If you feel like that, God's hand is stretched out to you because Christ died for you and it's there for you to say Almighty God, I don't know much about you yet but I want to come home to you, creator, maker of the universe. I want to come home to your way. I want to feel that I'm at home in this world because I'm at home with the one who made it with you, God. I accept your offer of reconciliation. Do you know what God will do? He'll stun you i tell you how he stunned me. You'll hear it again and again, I expect. The night that I said that to God, I was written down in the local labour exchange as unemployable. Have I said this before publicly? Probably a thousand times. They declared me unemployable, okay? On good evidence from the past. One night I walked home and I looked up to the God of heaven whom I didn't see and I just said, God of heaven, Christ died for me. You've opened the door, I want to walk through it, I want to be I want to meet you, I want you to have control of my life. Nothing seemed to happen, but I walked home to my dicks and went to bed, and in the morning I woke up early. Now that's the first miracle. Because my lifestyle wasn't that kind of lifestyle. I woke up about eight o'clock in the morning. And my mind just fizzed, and I thought, I want to work. (laughs) And I jumped out of bed, and I had a wash, and I might even have had a shave. And then I went down to the employment exchange, or labour exchange, I think we called it in those days, for an unscheduled appointment, and they looked at me absolutely astonished. But that was the big miracle, that God had done something inside me. He was beginning to transform me. I realized afterwards it was because he'd given me his spirit, but I didn't understand how it works then. I just knew that I'd reached out to God, and he'd reached out to me, and he'd touched my life, and he was now beginning to transform it. And I walked into that place feeling alive for the first time for years. Perhaps forever. I don't know how to judge it. Now, if you're in that position... That's what God will do for you. He doesn't say, come back to me, and then it will be an empty gesture. He says, come back to me, and boy, am I going to touch your life. And you will know it. Because I've been waiting for this. Most of us, however, in this place have already done that. And my wife found this this morning, and said, oh, this would be good for your sermon, Dave. So I'll read it. Uh, Paul's computer had a substantial temporary files folder. These pages were once current and important but went out of date, serving only to slow everything down. Once the list was deleted, however, his computer seemed to take on a new lease of life. And here comes the moral bit. How many pointless old grudges and thoughtless acts do each of us carry around in our memories, serving no purpose but to slow our spirits down? Wouldn't it be better if we could just press delete? So how about you? Here's a second reading which uh, Helen chose for this morning. This one comes from Matthew chapter 5. Verse 19. No, it doesn't. Pardon? Yeah, I'm looking at the wrong chapter. That's why. It's verse 43. You have heard that it said, "Love your neighbour and hate your enemy." Now, in actual fact, they might have heard it said, because God doesn't like evil doing, and therefore people who do evil are evil doers, and God hates evil doing. But nowhere in the Old Testament will you ever find anyone commanded to hate their enemies? Nowhere in the Old Testament. Check me out, some of your experts. If I'm wrong, I'll hold my hand up and admit it. But some of you are experts. Check it out. Nowhere is that commanded. So you have heard that it was said, love your neighbours and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies... And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Think of this, sons of your Father in heaven. Now, what's a son of the Father in heaven like? Oh, he's like Jesus. The son of the Father in heaven. God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And If you love those who love you, so what? In effect, what what reward do you get? Don't even tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? I like that, it's a bit of poetry. If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore be complete, as your Heavenly Father is perfect, complete. So, the Heavenly Father has given His Son and reached out to us in reconciliation. And we have accepted that offer. And now He says, You've accepted the offer. I have done this amazing thing in your life and I will continue to pour my spirit into you. Now then, in that strength and relying upon me, I want you to do the same as me and love your enemies. It doesn't actually say here, forgive them. You begin by loving them. (coughs) How did God love them? well, he did practical things for them he gave them the sun and the rain ok? get somebody else's sandwiches at work for them don't worry George, I'll get them for you what do you want? cheese and onion or what do you want? why did he go and get my sandwiches for me? I thought he hated my guts God makes his sun to shine on the good and the evil and then what did Jesus do? He sacrificed himself for us, for them, while we were still his enemies. Okay then, that person at work, that person next door, that person in my family really gets me. They don't deserve zilch from me for what they've done. But I can see they're in trouble. I'm really going to put myself out for them and not expect anything back. No deals here this is what Jesus did for me. Well, now I don't know the exact quote, but um, a quote from Gandhi is something like this. He thought that if Christians actually did in the world what they said they believed, this world would be an awesomely different place. And he was just cheesed off with Christians who wouldn't do what they believed. It's said of Gandhi, you know, that he read 1 Corinthians 13 every day of his life. That's a chapter about love. And then he did it. Now you're Christians, and I'm Christians. If the walls were rolled up, would they see little sons and daughters of God? And if they did see it here would they still see it at work? People living out the Christ life sacrificially according to their conscience where all the rules of life around them are contrary. That's where the rubber hits the road. Now then we're sitting opposite each other and that's a bit scary isn't it I find that a bit scary but you see the difficulty with sitting opposite with each other is it can raise little issues I've known it in church for people to beat each other's throats nicely <laughs> <laughs> terribly politely Christians do it Now then, if you do not want to bump into someone in this church because of your feelings about them or something they have done or you imagine they've done in the past, Jesus says, if someone has something against you, you need to go and sort it out. And if you've got something about against them, you're going to have to sort it out with God and you're going to have to press delete or you're going to have to talk to them with a hand of reconciliation outstretched. You're not talking to raise an argument. You're talking to become brothers and sisters again. That's the point. And if we do that, then this meal that we sit at would have such depth of significance because we claim to be eating and drinking by faith the body and blood of Christ who died for us think about it